This is Life Change Church, Muskegon. What are you doing while you listen? Driving, mowing the lawn, folding the laundry, multitasking? We're so glad you're here. Subscribe and share this weekly podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, on iTunes, or at mylifechangechurch.tv. Join us in person Sunday mornings at 9.30 or 11.30, or catch us on Facebook Live. Here's Pastor Ron Rands. Amen. Father, we come to you, and, and Father, the best understanding we have, and Lord, we ask that you would bring new enlightenment steps in our walk. God, help us to recognize your voice in our, in our life, God. Lord, for the relationships that are around us, but most of all, our relationship with you. Father, your word says it's so clear, the pure in heart shall see you. Father, I pray for just moments, Father, Lord, places of purity in our walk with you. God, that we might see you for who you are, that we might, Lord, acknowledge you for who you are. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, you may be seated. Well, today I want to share with you, and before I get into the topic, we're still about raising the next generation and what we're passing on. And I wish I would have been more intentional about this probably in my uh, earlier years. I think many times um, we pass things on and we're not um, clear about it. And the topics that I'm talking about, like last week we talked about humility, and this week I'm gonna, I'll share with you what it is in just a moment. But these are topics that we should have sit-downs with our kids, sit-downs with our own personal life, that these are something that we should be measuring always in our life. The Bible says check out yourself daily to see whether you're walking the faith walk daily. And so these are the topics that the Lord is having us um, address. And uh, just to give you um, uh, some, uh, maybe some heartfelt uh, experiences that help you know why I believe these are so important or the Lord feels they're so important. Number one is, is uh, some time ago, there was a, um, a young little girl that was in a hospital in Ann Arbor and she didn't look like she was gonna live. And there was... Uh, I mean, multiple churches, not just one, but multiple churches that were praying for this little baby to make it. She had received a transplant and she um, wasn't responding properly to it. And uh, they didn't really give her much um, of a percentage of living this life. And I was um, honored to be in the presence of the father with my pastor at the time. And we were praying. And God gave me a word, and it was a word of knowledge, and I don't want to go into all that with this, but the, the, this, this person, this father, had what I'm about to talk to you about in his heart, and it was hindering the health of this child. And we'll go on and say that this child went on to live when this person received and was obedient to the topic I'm about to give to you. Another experience um, I've had with uh, a person who had addictions and uh, they just didn't know how to um, get through this addiction. It was the exact same addiction 
that their parents had, and I believe even their grandparents had, and they're struggling with this addiction and trying to get through it and, and, and just saying, you know, I, Pastor, I've prayed about it. I have been at the altar about it. And I just cannot seem, I just, I, I get free for a while and then I come right back to it. And what had come to, come to light was the same topic I'm about to talk to you about was because of this scenario that they hadn't fully done and been cleansed in. So the topic I'm about to, to share with you, I think is so important to pass on. It's called forgiveness. In fact, so much so, in fact, if you would turn to me in Matthew chapter 18, we're going to reference this passage um, quite a bit through this teaching in Matthew 18. And uh, so much so that what I have um, found is that, you know, we, we do it, um, and I find when I'm in, in conversation with people that they think they've forgiven, but they haven't. There's still the stigma. There's still the, the roots that are there. And in 1 John 1, 9, it, it, you know, it says that um, God is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it tells us that unforgiveness brings unrighteousness. And righteousness brings a pathway to God's design. In fact, um, uh, as I was studying this, many scholars believe that people are not walking their full life with God they're not walking the path that God has for their life. They're always struggling to, to try to aspire to get there, but just something just keeps, they, they, they'll start moving, taking steps, and then they get pulled right back again into the mire of nonsense. It's forgiveness. And Jesus was referencing this with his disciples, and in fact, his own disciples, in fact, the, the religious people that day had a number and I guarantee you won't guess what that number is about how many times you're supposed to forgive somebody. I'd like to use this number in my life because <laughs> people have, many times people have really overcome this one in my life. And, but uh, the number was three, that you only had to forgive somebody three times. And then after that, you didn't have to do it anymore. Uh, but that's not true. We find out we've, you know, and Peter was literally struggling with this. And in fact, what I, I find is that most of us don't even understand that power because when Jesus was referencing to his disciples, the disciples said, how come when you pray, there's just more kingdom? There's more heaven in it. There just seems to be something that's not of this world connected when you pray. And it wasn't just because God was, you know, obviously God was in the Son, you know, talking about he was God and, and Jesus together with the Son and man together. It wasn't that. Jesus says, well, I'm going to teach you how to pray. And in that ingredient of prayer was forgive us our debts as we, come on, say, finish it with me. Forgive our debtors. We live a powerless life when we don't forgive. And, uh, you know, and so many times uh, we think, well, I, I'm not, you know, I don't have any unforgiveness. And you can, when we talk to people, we, many times, like I was, the first one was, we don't forgive ourselves. We don't forgive ourselves. I've seen people that have gone into their second marriage, and this is one of those instances where they don't forgive themselves. They move on to a great relationship with their next spouse because Jesus is there, but there's this hidden, buried hurt inside of them that they don't forgive. And they even struggle reading the word. They even struggle with understanding the word in areas, especially when it comes to marriage. 
and then they have this stigmatized, in fact, this particular person, I'm telling you, where his daughter wasn't going through the healing. I said, you need to forgive yourself, because God already has. And he didn't even want to acknowledge it. It was so buried inside and so pushed down, so pressed away from his life. Isn't that what a lot of times we do with hurts? Instead of, you know, the Bible says, cast all your care, all your hurts upon God. Because otherwise, there's two things we do with them. One, we give them to God. Or two, we internalize them and become literally a wall. And what we really don't realize, we think we're a wall from persons, people hurting us again. But that same wall is from God doing something wonderful in our lives. I love what Jesus did. Forgive, he even forgave people for, they didn't even know what they were doing. He forgave them for what they didn't even know what they were doing. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked the Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins? Up to seven? Which Peter's thinking, man, I'm being really spiritual because the religious people that day only say three. So I'm just going to bring it to seven. I'm going to look like, you know, that was Peter always putting his foot in his mouth, you know, and he's, that's what Peter was doing, and Peter's like, I'm going to be spiritual right now, I'm going to really, you know, hit the heart of Christ seven times, wow, four more than what Jesus, or four more than what religious people said of that day, up to seven times, and Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven, but 77 times, which means 70 times, seven, which means, and, and Jesus wasn't saying, look, count them, and because I can hear a lot of us going, well, man, they're like, they, they, that's 490, and and they're about 489, and you know, I only got one more to go. That's not what Jesus was saying. Let me define what forgiveness generally means. It's defined as a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance toward a person or group who has harmed you. We've got people right now arranging politics over resentment and hurt that's harmed them regardless of whether they actually deserve your forgiveness. Just as important as defining what forgiveness is, though, is understanding what forgiveness is not. Experts who study or teach forgiveness make clear that when you forgive, you do not gloss over or deny the seriousness of the offense. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting, does not mean condoning or excusing. Though forgiveness can help repair a damaged relationship, it doesn't obligate you to reconcile with that person who harmed you unless they themselves are asking for repentance. Instead, forgiveness brings the forgiver peace of mind, frees him or her from corrosive anger. You ever seen something that's so rusty that you're like, there's no way in the world, and if you're, you're a person who's ever tried to dabble with welding, and I, I would say that's what I do. Sometimes I dabble with it. I'm no means a good welder. But the first thing you got to do is get rid of all that corrosiveness thing because there's no way in the world you can join two metals together because of the corrosion. Well, how in the world? This is a, literally a spiritual thing. You struggle again with, with this corrosiveness of bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. You will struggle with relationships all your life because of it. It's because it's corrosive. There's no way that God's going to be able to bind you and meld you together like he intended. While there is some debate over whether true forgiveness requires positive feelings toward offenders, experts agree that it at least involves letting go of deeply held negative feelings. In that way, it empowers you to recognize the pain you suffered without letting that pain define you, enabling you to heal and move on with your life. 
So something, topics we're going to talk about this morning. How often should I forgive? We've already hit on that with Peter. Can I stop at a certain limit? What happens if I don't? And why God wants me to forgive? But before I even hit on that, one thing is I, this passage in Colossians just, uh, it kind of just um, lit up in, in my heart a week ago. And because I think sometimes forgiveness shouldn't even be um, an ingredient in our, in our direction because we as Christians shouldn't get so entangled with, uh, you know, people that are, you know, of offenses. I think people today get offended over everything. And in fact, I like what Colossians 3.13 says, make allowance for each other's faults. You know, if, you know, if we give an allowance for each other's faults, it's never going to even be about forgiveness because we just recognize going, man, you know what, just, I, I, I'm, not even, I, I'm not even getting involved with that thought. I'm not even going to get entangled with it. It's just, you know what, I have so much allowance because my love for you is so much deeper and for the, because the way you expressed it or the way you conveyed it or the way, you know, maybe it was, you know, I just am not going to even get around this. I'm going to make allowance for it. I don't even need to forgive because my allowance over there isn't even going to talk. I'd love you. But today we have so many, we have no allowances for people making faults. It's like we're almost in the critic stand. We're always in a judgment seat. We, we say well, we're not judging, but that's really what unforgiveness is. It's a place of judgment on someone else for what they did. But if we were in that place of sitting on the mercy seat, if we were like our daddy in heaven on a mercy seat, which we all want toward ourselves, if we all want that toward ourselves, that mercy seat, if we were in that place, we'd have so much allowance. For instance, I don't think we'd hardly have any times where road rage would ever get to us. Right? Because we make so much allowance for nonsense. Remember, in Colossians 3, and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you so much you must forgive others. Number three, so how often should I forgive? And we just read that where Peter responds up to seven times. Jesus isn't telling us here to count 490 times and that the 491st one. No, he's talking about that we should have a heart that never allows the poison. Never allows that. You know, we would always teach, we'd all grab hold of our children and say, don't drink the poison. But are we sharing this with our kids? Are we sharing this with the next generation in their workplace? So when they don't get that raise, do we tell them, look, don't get full of unforgiveness. But I deserve that raise. I worked harder than that other person for it. I mean, why in the world? It just seems like it's a racist decision. It seems like it's just an unfair situation. And could we get to that point where we're going, look, even though all of that could be true, even though that person could be racist, God has given us a cleansing that we should be what? Forget, have an allowance and we should always give forgiveness. And maybe it's God going over there helping you go through a scenario that's unfair so that you could show who Christ is in you. Number three, why can't I not stop forgiving at a certain number of times? And this is what, where Jesus makes it so clear because he gives us the example of it. And it's found in Matthew 18 again, verse 23. All right, 23. And it says, Jesus anticipated the question about Jesus, or Peter. How many times I got to do this? Seriously? I mean, you can imagine Peter already had people in mind. 
And we, even when I talk about forgiveness right now, there are people right now that come to mind. So I know, and let me tell you, just so you don't feel really bad, Peter was a great man. Peter did, God did great things through Peter. So please do not get this condescending, condemning thought right now. Put yourself in that place. Say, all right, I, I need, God help Peter through this. Father, God help me through this right now. Verse 32, I'm gonna read it, Matthew 18, verse 32. Then the master called his servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? God is telling us right here that he is expecting us just like God has forgiven us. How many things, if, if, you, were to, if you could even remember, and none of us do wanna remember, everything that you've done wrong, Everything, even the intentions of your heart that were wrong and added them, multiplied them all up from the time that you were born. I mean, that would just depress every one of us. Amen? It'd just be yuck. Just who wants to? God has forgiven. In fact, here's the thing is God's forgiven you things you haven't even done wrong yet. Things that you're going to do wrong in the, next, the week to come, God has already issued a forgiveness. It still doesn't let you off the hook to ask for it. Why do you have to ask for something God already forgives? Because you need to get cleansed. Because if you don't ask for it, you don't get cleansed. In fact, uh, it makes me kind of laugh what Rita was talking about with the, the small group. And I love small groups and, and because that's where there's so much accountability and and you know, don't be a, don't be snotty. Join a group. And it reminded me of my wife was, I don't know if you, how many of you remember that, that, that group. That little, don't be a poop. Join a group. How many remember that when Brenda was joined? Don't be. And here's Rita going over there. Don't be snotty. I love it because the, the, it brings an analogy of understanding that this is God's way. He wants us to fellowship. We are made. And here's people. Literally, we, we've got scientific proof. That it literally does, it does the body good. It's healthy with fellowship. Amen? And yet then we've got all these other scientists going over there. We've got a disfellowship. Let's listen to what God has to say more than what the world has to say. I don't think we have to discard scientists, but surrender it to what God has to say. God first, man second. Amen? And all things will begin to start putting and getting in alignment. But yet so many of us today have put what man says over what God has to say. That is never, ever going to win. Never. And in the same way, God says in in anger, this master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Ray Steadman defines torture. So let's kind of go back. If I have unforgiveness in my heart, God's word, God's truth says I'm going to be led over to torturous activity, demonic activity. Here's what Ray Steadman says this. Torture, a gnawing resentment and bitterness an awful fall of, or envy. We feel strongly the separation from another and every time we think of them, we feel within the acid of resentment and hate, even eating away at our peace and calmness. 
God's, uh, this is one of the things that um, I'm going to kind of move into uh, another place in the Word of God that talks about unforgiveness. And what I love about God's Word is that, you know, talk about application. People today just think, well, how is something that's written so many years ago applicable to, to today? Well, in 1 Corinthians, we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, this historical moment where someone in the church is having incest with his mother-in-law or stepmother. I mean, it's recorded in the Bible. And God chooses to be inspired his word. God chooses to bring record of it. Why? Because A, it's a sin that constantly goes on. B, it's also something where the church has always been passive about. We don't want to, well, you know what? If I don't bother you, you don't bother me, and we all live happily ever after. And the whole point, big part of 1 Corinthians is, is that the church's approach, this passive approach going, you know what? I know what's going on. I just don't want to deal with it. And isn't that a lot of what we as Christians today do? We know things are going on that literally are harmful to the person who's in, you know what, and the Bible says all sin leads to death, which means all sin, which means I'm going to do it my way, it all leads to death, which means it's suicidal, spiritual suicide. And yet so many of us in the church, because we're so, and I was sharing this with some of the elders, we're so relational here, and we think that we can speak the love relationship before the truth, and that's not what the Word says. The Bible says speak the truth in love. But what we try to do is speak love trying to get to the truth. It doesn't work. It's not God's way of doing things. God says speak the, say it with me, truth in love. That's what it says. And yet we want to mix it all up and kind of make it man's way. Isn't that exactly how a lot of us like to do things? You'll go over there, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to find my own way of doing this thing, God, and just, it's just not culturally correct today. It doesn't feel right, and, and you know what? I don't want to be hated. I don't want to be slandered. I don't want to be unliked. And so I struggle with that because if I speak that truth, they may unlike me. They may not want to listen anymore to what I have to say. When what we realize it's not really what you have to say, it's what God's word is inside of you that has everything to say. And when we stop thinking about what God's word is, because God's word will last forever. God, can I tell you something? Yours won't. Mine won't. What I have to say has literally a very small period of scope of influence. But God's word through my life will last forever. And so we have to measure really what we want to say more importantly, because is it God speaking through us? So in 1 Corinthians 5, they're just being like, I mean, it's just like the church of today. We just, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to talk about it. I mean, it's just, I know it's wrong. I just don't, I don't, I don't want to, you know, let Pastor Ron do it. Pastor Ron to go do it. I mean, we used to have a young lady go, Pastor Ron, Pastor Ron. I mean, that's why I feel like sometimes, you know what? No. Bible says that we're all filled with his truth, his spirit of truth. And God did not speak to the elders, and God did not speak just to the pastor of Corinth. He spoke to the church. He spoke to the church. 
And that the church needed to offer a discipline. And by the way, that was 1 Corinthians. I thank God for 2 Corinthians. Because when they offered this discipline, what happened is that this person fell underneath that discipline and the relationships that this person had where it was a passive, this guy was just going on doing what he's going to do with his stepmom. And the church just, you know know what? Hey, nothing wrong with it. Obviously, I I feel like something wrong with it, but there must be nothing wrong with it because the church ain't saying anything about it. And so he just lived in his sin, and he's all mixed up and confused on the inside, like the world is today. And then the church said, you know what? What you're doing is wrong, and you may not fellowship with us. We love you. We want the best for you, but you cannot fellowship with us in this situation until you begin to acknowledge what you're doing is wrong. We're here to help you. We're here to assist you. We're here to pray for you. We want to see you on the other side. And then 2 Corinthians is written. You guys got to read this. This is all in God's book. And then 2 Corinthians is written. The church made such a hard approach to this man that they went over there and said, look, we're not fellowshiping with you. Well, this man repented. This man was asking for pardon. Please forgive me. I'm stopping doing it. And then the church didn't forgive. And, and so the whole book of second, a big part of second Corinthians is, look, church, you need to pardon this person. This person did what they're supposed to do. They're asking for forgiveness. Now allow them to get cleansed and allow fellowship of the spirit to once again happen. It was the beautiful picture. And God included the craziness of someone with their stepmom into the point where that person asked for forgiveness. And God writes another book, his Corinthian book, so that we can see it. Don't tell me that the Bible isn't something that we can read and understand. I mean, that sounds like today. Thank you for that, amen. (laughs) Second Corinthians two, five and six says, if anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you. To some extent, not to put it into severe, severely, the punishment inflicted on this man by the majority, it didn't say by the pastor, it didn't say by the elder, it said by the body of Christ. Pardon was to be given, but they gave probation. They didn't give pardon, they gave probation. This is what I love about, this is what true repentance is. I'm asking you guys, would you please, the, the God's word is so full, it gives us truth. Here's when someone's asking, so when, you, when your son or your daughter or someone in your workplace or some person in your relationship, and you're saying, well, I, I'm sorry for what I did. You know what, you can tell when it's true man's sorrow, because they got caught. Or it's God's sorrow. You say, well, pastor, how do you know that? It's in God's word. God literally gives us the fruit of true repentance. And it's found right here in 2 Corinthians 2, 7 to 9. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. The reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test to be obedient in everything. This man needs forgiveness, not more discipline with probation. The pendulum has swung too far, and Paul attempted to bring it back into order. Real quickly, there's a process how we raise awareness to truth. First one is this, okay? Do the people know the truth? If we're not speaking about the truth, then how's a child, how's a young adult to know the truth? Let me just tell you something. Living together is sin. 
God created marriage. Having sex before marriage is sin. We don't try this thing out so it feels right. It's sin. It's not God's way. And scientifically, if you go over there and feel and see what's going on today, relationships are hindered because of pornography. It's sin. Okay, these are attributes, these are things. And what's happening is, is we're not talking about these areas. We're not talking about them in church. We're not talking, about, well, I'll, let, I'll bring them to, you know, we know some of our friends are doing this. We know some relationships are doing this, but we just wait and hopefully that we can bring them to church. And the, you know what, in the national averages, people go to church once a month. So, I mean, what are the chances that I got 12 times a, a year to hit on the right note for that person's life. No, it's not gonna happen because you will live with them every day. That's how it's gonna happen. Is because you live with them every day. You can speak the truth in love in their life. And so what happens when we know someone's in error of the life, God's word tells us that we're supposed to have discipline. God says, he says we discipline those whom we love. And discipline is different. We're not going to go over there and, you know, get a, a rod of correction to someone that's 25 year old. They're going to get a bigger rod and beat you up. That's not what they're talking about. Discipline is the thing, situation where we recognize and go, look, what you're doing is breaking our fellowship. And I love you so much and I want a fellowship with you. But because of what you're doing is it's breaking our fellowship. We can't keep fellowshipping when you're walking in this kind of error in your life. It's, it's poison. And you're asking me to drink the poison with you. And I'm not going to do that. So what I'd really like to do is, can we pray together? Can we ask God to show you who he is in your life so that you can draw nearer to him instead of drawing near to this poison? Discipline. Repentance. So why do we bring discipline? Not for discipline's sake. It's for repentance. What is true repentance? It's found in 2 Corinthians 7. We don't have time to read it, but what righteous indignation, what you know, vindication, someone who just passionately says, God, I want my relationship with you. And then forgiveness leads to comfort, and then comfort leads back to dignity like they never did it before. You don't hold things over one another. And I, I will, I'll share with you that um, there have been times in my life, in fact, there was a gentleman in our church um, that I just was with um, about five weeks ago who had an event in his life that broke him so deeply that he had, he had a broken heart. And I looked at this gentleman and we were in my office and I go, you know, um, I have felt similar pain in my life. And I know that Jesus is the only one that can heal a broken heart. That even that, that person that, that brought that offense in my life, they can ask for forgiveness and I, had, and I had given it to them. I still was broke. And this is what I learned and I don't have time to go through it. The Bible says that Satan, Satan goes through and he's like a thief. And he, and he goes through the cracks of our life. But Jesus is a door. He has a door in our heart. And we're wondering, because we love God, we have a relationship with God, what in the world, why is, why is it that I just keep getting hung up on, on some of this pain and these frustrations in my life? Many times, there's a brokenness in your life. Could be something that 
a, a, a stepfather did, stepmother did, could be something a coach did, could be something, you, you know what, a, an ex-spouse did, a spouse did, could be something that, you know, maybe an experience that you did, but it's a brokenness in your life. And Jesus is the only one in scripture that says he can heal a broken heart. And so I want to talk about two subjects when we're close. One is forgiveness. It's not a choice where you feel, oh, I'll get around to it when they want to. You need to forgive others even if they don't ask for forgiveness because otherwise you're drinking the poison. The person who offended you or perpetrated something or did something to, that hurt you or harmed you, you know, don't let Satan win twice. First of all, what they did, you know, how they harmed you, how Satan worked through their life to harm you, that, that's already an offense. And then two is that you don't forgive. So now the one person who did the offense was, you know, was operating through the enemy's vices. And now you're the recipient of it. And now you drinking the poison of it, the, the bitterness of it. You're not, just don't let Satan win on all, on all parties. Forgive. You say, well, pastor, how do you do that? It's just a choice. And here's the thing that we're going to end on is that Holy Spirit gives you power to do it. It doesn't mean they're worthy of it. It doesn't mean that they did anything that would deserve it. That's not the point. You've got to stop drinking the poison. Stop drinking the poison. One. Two is, all right, if you have a broken heart, stop trying to do this on your own. Jesus came here to heal you of your broken heart. I went up forward in a service much like this and, pa- and I will never, you know, I, I don't like to remember the actions, but the result I'm 100% in. The actions were I got out of my chair and I moved up to the altar. And I kind of made a deal with God and said, hey God, don't make a fool of me. God didn't live up to his bargain of the deal. I had no idea how deep-rooted a broken heart thing is. I went up forward, and Pastor Dwayne touched me. He says, why are you here? I said, I'm just, I just, I want my broken heart healed. I don't even know how, I don't even know if his finger hit my head, but I went under. And, and witnesses tell me, because I don't remember one thing, Witnesses tell me that I went in a fetal position and screamed in horror. I wasn't there long. So most people would have thought, man, that dude's demon-possessed. <laughs> I don't know. All I know, I was certainly demon-oppressed. I was a leader in the church. I was worshiping God right next to everybody. I loved him with all my heart. God, who's infinitely glorious, said, we got to deal with his son. And, he, and here's the thing. He had talked to me before about it. And I didn't move on it. And so all those weeks and those months, I still was po- drinking the poison. Stop. If you're brokenhearted and you've forgiven the person that's perpetrated, doesn't mean they're not brokenhearted. Please let Jesus heal you. Come forward to this altar and ask Christ to heal you of your brokenness. I got up, turned around, and was completely different. From that day forward, I have never been the same. I can talk about the event, 
with bringing freedom to others. What Satan meant for bad, God has used for his glory for like 20 plus years now. That's what Jesus does. That's what forgiveness does. And I can say it, there's no even embarrassment about it because it's who Jesus is. Should Peter be embarrassed that he denied? Or should we talk about the restoration of Christ that Peter rose up again out of and was one of the greatest men of God that faced on planet Earth? Allow God to restore his greatness in your heart. I believe he's speaking to many of you in this room today. So please bow your heads, close your eyes. If we can just take a a little transitional thought here as your heads are bowed and your eyes are shut. If you're not in fellowship with God, maybe you're here because somebody else brought you here. Maybe it's because of a relationship right next to you. Maybe it's because of some situation of hardship in your life. Whatever the reason, it's not an accident that you're here. God's love has brought you in the presence of him right now. He loves you. And he wants to allow you to receive his forgiveness. All of us in this room are sinners. All of us need the cross of Christ. Every one of us, none of us will make it to heaven without Jesus Christ. And if you're here ready to accept a savior, ready to accept a a Lord that would lead your life and you're so wounded and you're tired and weary of trying to figure life out, you never were supposed to. You're supposed to be the co-pilot, not the pilot. And you want to meet the pilot. His name is Jesus. If you want to meet him today, I want you to raise your hand nice and high and say, that's me. Anybody here, say, that's me. Thank you for that hand. All right, church, let's pray together. Say, Father in heaven, in Jesus' name. I receive your forgiveness. I lean not to my own understanding. I acknowledge you, Jesus, as my Savior and as my Lord. I surrender. Here I am in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up and worship our King today. And during this worship time, if the Lord is pricking your heart about healing of that brokenness in your life, if there's area of unforgiveness that God is dealing with your heart, don't leave this place. Bring it to the altar. Leave different. If you liked this message, we want you to share it. Subscribe to more podcasts through mylifechangechurch.tv. Get involved. Ask for prayer. Share your story. Go to mylifechangechurch.tv. I'm Karma Adams, producer. We'll see you next week.